Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. Gators Breakdown, episode 145, is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Joining me this episode of Gators Breakdown is Will Miles, co-host, um, co-founder, or not co-founder, wow, that's, that's your site, Will. I'm not going to take credit for that, but uh, the founder of ReadInReaction.com. And you can find Will on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Will, I was uh, all uh, excited and ready to have a, a Memorial Day weekend. And then, you know, through about halfway through Sunday, I ended up getting the uh, beginning stages of a sinus infection. <laughs> well, that's what you get for taking all the credit for other people, man. Trying to encroach <laughs> your fingers. You're now co-founder of Read and Reaction. What, what else you got your fingers in there, Dave? Uh, <laughs> that's what happens. You're the hardest working man in Florida football. So, uh, you know. You know, you finally had a chance to rest, and your body gave in. Yeah, no, I, I, I won't say I'm that, but uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes. But uh, how, how was your? Uh, did you did you did you get to have a three day weekend? Hey, we we had a three day weekend. I had some moonshine yesterday. First time I've ever had it. Oh wow! So, uh, so it's amazing that I'm upright for this. I guess <laughs> maybe, that's what I I, maybe that's what I need to clear me up right now. That'll clear it up, man. I, I told somebody yesterday about nine o'clock. So we had a little get together like two o'clock and about nine o'clock. Um, I told somebody, you know, you've had a good time at an outdoor gathering when at nine o'clock you can feel the hangover coming on and you haven't gone to sleep yet. So, <laughs> so a good time was had by many. Yeah. You know, we were dealing with a, a subtropical storm and all rain and all that good stuff or not good stuff, all bad stuff. So, you know, I was going to be stuck indoors anyway. But stuck indoors with a sinus infection wasn't wasn't really fun. But you know, I got to spend some time and with the family, so I was I was good. Well, you know, you've been giving me crap about the winter weather up here in Philly for the last <laughs> six months. So now, now I get to be like, ha, ha, it's a thousand degrees down there, and nobody wants to go outside. <laughs> Don't get me wrong; I've lived down there. I've lived down there too, and and I enjoy it. And every time I go down in February, I'm like, wow, why did we ever leave? But yeah. every time I go down in July, I'm like, ah, I understand. <laughs> All right, before we dive into the uh, – we'll be looking at these preseason magazines that have uh, just hit newsstands uh, within the last week, week and a half or so. Remember, you can find all your Gators Breakdown episodes on newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. There you will find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News for Jack sports team. 
they'll be covering the uh, the Gator baseball uh, big time this week, but also Ju being down in Gainesville. So a lot of Gator baseball coverage uh, on News for Jacks, and that's uh, and you can find Gators Breakdown on newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. Also, you can listen on iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube if you want the video version. Uh, also, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. When using those services, please rate and review the show. Let Gator Nation know what they're getting with Gators Breakdown. So, Will, uh, for the sake of uh, this episode, uh, we're going to use the Athlon and Lindy's uh, preview magazines and, and what they had to say about the Gators. And, uh, you know, these are usually the first two previews magazines out and, and the ones I like the best personally anyway. Uh, but, you know, around Memorial Day is when fans kind of start looking for these preview magazines. And I know I was on my way down to Orlando uh, last weekend, not this past weekend, but the weekend before. Uh, and I caught them on that Friday b- before I went down to, to Orlando. So, you know, my wife Kaylee was driving and I was talking to you and Bill. You know, we were sending messages about – all these uh, All-American lists that they had out there. But uh, every year, uh, even with the digital age of of the Internet and stuff, I still look forward to these uh, physical editions of these magazines. Well, that's because you're not a millennial. The millennials want (laughs) the (laughs) – we blame them for everything these days, don't we? But no, it's it's, – it feels like we're so close, but we're so far away. This is sort of like the dog days of August in baseball. This is the same thing for college football as May hits spring practice is over. So we don't have that to look forward to. And it's really just sort of wait and wait and wait until, uh, until August and September comes around. So we're counting them down. We're under a hundred days now. So that's the only thing I'm taking solace in is we're at what, like 96 days until the season starts. And man, I can't wait. Yeah, we're so, so ready for the season to start as well. But uh, this will get us by, uh, I guess, for the next couple of months. And, uh, you know, recruiting will hit up again. You know, the big visit weekend coming up. But uh, usually when these things hit, you know, that's when I kind of start diving into to what they think about Florida. But more important, you know, to learn about the other teams as well. Uh, so, you know, uh, I'll, go, I'll, go, I'll go announce, you know, you and I, will, we'll do our opponent previews throughout the summer. And you know, these magazines will help us out uh, a lot there. But first, we you know, we're going to start my favorite part of these preview magazines. I'm not going to bury the lead here. This is the part I want to get to first. And it's uh, what anonymous coaches, opposing coaches, have to say uh, about the teams in the SEC. And now now, some of these coaches may have agendas, but I, I truly believe most of what is said here holds value. And while we as fans and, and analysts have our opinions, hearing what opposing coaches say should hold uh, a lot of weight. So I'll go with uh, Athlon first, and we'll go, we'll break down uh, what the opposing coaches had to say here. And it says, Tennessee and Florida have some of the same problems. They have some good players, but they have made some mistakes. Not so much from a talent perspective, but from a character perspective. Player development is something they didn't do a great job of either. But Florida doesn't lack for talent, that's for sure. Uh, I'll stop it right there, Will, and we can kind of break down that that first part of it. You know, whoever this coach is doesn't think Florida lacks for talent. You know, we've kind of said that too. You know, while recruiting hasn't been up to Florida standards, there's still a top 10, top 15 type of talent and definitely more than the four wins we saw last year. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. There's certainly a lot of four stars, a lot of top 100 guys running around. Um, you know, development has been the issue all along, and and we'll see whether Mullen can fix that. I think that's going to be one of the one of the big keys to this season is is how can he develop the talent that's already been there. Yep, and so that's where it goes next because I think Dan Mullen is a really good offensive coach. He was a smart recruiter at Mississippi State. He had a plan for his guys, and he put them in position to succeed. He did a good job with the offense, developing a spread quarterback run offense that played to the strengths of their personnel. Defensive coordinator Todd Grantham is really good. Mississippi State was outstanding on defense last year. 
They weren't on the field for 70 or 80 plays a game, which showed that Coach Mullen wasn't just an offensive coach trying to put up yards and points. He had a plan on how to manage and win games, and that really helped them on defense. And here we go. There's a part where uh, kind of getting into uh, how Mullen in Florida and what he has to work with. I don't know if Felipe Franks is exactly what Dan Mullen wants at the quarterback position at Florida, but I think Franks is a pretty talented dude. Big athletic guy who can make plays with his feet and his arm. He needs to continue to develop the finer points of being an upper-level quarterback, but I'm sure Dan would do a good job with him. They need to identify some playmakers, but Dan will get that offense going. They will score some points. So, well, you know, whoever this coach was, uh, and I guess it could be multiple coaches here uh, as well. So, you know, they did have things, good things to say about Dan Mullen, uh, the, the offensive style he brings to Florida, the success they think he can has. Uh, you know, and, and looking at this, there seems to be uh, among some coaches, you know, some confidence that uh, Dan Mullen can can get Florida fixed. Yeah, I think it's a pretty significant upgrade when you go from uh, Doug Nussmeyer to, <laughs> to Dan Mullen, or really anyone else, <laughs> if, if we're honest. But, um, you know, that's a pretty significant upgrade, and I think we'll see that. I mean, I think that's what people are really reflecting is, I'm not even sure Mullen has to be an elite offensive coach to see a significant uptick from last year. Um, the question is, can he can he coax more out of players like Felipe Franks, or even players like Dre Massey and some of the other guys who, didn't who had a lot of hype coming in but haven't necessarily delivered on their potential and that's that's going to be the big question of the year and obviously everyone's focused on offense um you know the offense has been bad for a long time and that's what mullen was hired to bring in there's a reason that they looked at offensive coaches that everybody who was mentioned you know like a chip kelly or or um, you know nobody was looking for the next kirby smart <laughs> they were looking for the next steve spurrier or the next urban meyer they were looking for somebody on the offensive side of the ball and there's a reason for that yes yeah, so, and you know also the, the one thing that got me is um the quote, he had a plan how to manage and win games. And I think when we're looking at year one under Dan Mullen, that might be the most important part uh, of year one. And I think, you know, we gave a lot of credit for Jim McElwain in year one and win in year two of leaning on the defense. And uh, granted, we know the offense should have been better. And going to year three, it definitely just seemed more like a trend. And it wasn't just really playing to your strengths. But, you know, with the learning curve of learning the team and all that, yes, we want Dan Mullen to come in here and score points right away. But I think as long as we see our, our favorite word, progress, and I think Dan Mullen's part of leaning on what he knows and maybe leaning on the defense and then trying to win games, I think that's what we, you know, really can what points to a lot of the respect these opposing coaches have of Dan Mullen. Yeah, I think we have to be a little bit careful when we talk about um, we talk about managing the game and, and things like that. I think that's maybe one of the things that we learned by looking at looking at Jim McElwain. I mean, he certainly made some decisions that I think allowed some of the closer games to go his way in the first couple of years, but eventually your luck runs out. And so, um, you know, there is um, ample evidence that, that indicates that, um, you know, that the defense is not going to be what it was in Jim McElwain's first or second year. And so I think that there is going to be a need to score points. And I don't think he's just going to be able to manage the game, which is which may end up being a point of frustration for Florida fans this year, just because, you know, it, it's not entirely clear whether the guy who's going to be behind center is going to have the capacity to really pilot an explosive offense. Will they be better? Yes. Will it be more, will it be game management? I'm not sure that the personnel are there based on what we saw last year on both the offensive and the defensive side of the ball to just say, hey, we're going to manage things. I think I think they're going to have to open it up, and that may be fun if things turn out well, but it may not look so good if they don't. 
Right. Uh, so I'll go to the Lindy's here, uh, what Lindy's had to say. Uh, so this was on the program, and it was, quote, I don't think Florida is as talented as they have been. I think Dan Mullen did a great job at Mississippi State. But the thing about Florida is it's a pressure cooker, and a seven- or eight-win season in a swamp will get you fired. They don't give a damn what the problems are. You better win. <laughs> well, that one came from me. <laughs> uh, you know what? That, that is kind of funny you know, going through and, and looking at these quotes and kind of just imagining who might say something like that. And the first person who popped into my mind with something like that is Jimbo Fisher. Eh, that's interesting. I, I, I was thinking maybe Charlie Strong. Yeah. That'd be that'd be from him. That, that that is fun. So so who'd the one talking about Grantham being a good defensive coordinator come from? <laughs> Must have been Rick. Rick or uh, I'd say probably some defensive coach in the SEC. So uh, well, I, I don't necessarily oh, agree with that assessment, yeah. but we shall see. <laughs> Which one, Grantham being a good defensive coordinator? Yeah, I've got some questions there. Okay. Uh, and then old new coach Dan Mullen. He goes, "Quote: I don't know if Mullen can fix the quarterback problem." He did a hell of a job at State with Dak Prescott and Nick Fitzgerald. I'm not betting against him. He'll get better talent at Florida than he had at Mississippi State. What does that equate to in terms of wins and losses? I don't know. Florida Florida fans hope he brings the production they had when Mullen was an offensive coordinator at Florida and when he had Tim Tebow. Since Tebow left, Florida hasn't been worth a crap on offense. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, though. I mean, he mentions Tebow, but he doesn't mention Harvin. He doesn't mention Demps. He doesn't mention Rainey. He doesn't mention the Pouncey twins. He doesn't mention Aaron Hernandez. He doesn't mention, um, you know, um, Jamal Cornelius. He, he doesn't mention or Cornelius Ingram. He doesn't mention any of those guys who are really explosive on the outside. And and that was a pretty stacked team when you looked at it offensively. So again, what what the expectations are of people versus the reality is going to be interesting to see. I do think Mullen's going to be better. I, I think that's. Uh, I think. The consensus in listening to these comments is that is that Mullen has the confidence of people that he's going to put the right schemes around the personnel. The question is, are the personnel good enough, and do they fit his scheme? And and that's an interesting question to look at as the year moves on. Yeah, so uh, I thought those uh, were pretty good. Uh, you know, the one in Athlon and Athlon in general seem to be uh, more ambitious about Florida and Dan Mullen, and we'll get to some of that of. Uh, that and, and Lindy's didn't seem to be as high on Florida. So, you know, even the even the coaches' parts of it that these both magazines took, Athlon seemed to be higher on Florida than Lindy's did. So, you know, that was kind of the the, the starting of the, the differing opinions that I saw uh, in these magazines. But I also wanted to go back and look at what these coaches were saying about Mississippi State. And I'm glad I did because a lot of that also had things about Mullen uh, as well. Uh, so uh, in the Athlon one, it says, uh, I don't think you can underestimate the loss of Dan Mullen. The truth of the matter is Dan probably took that program as far as he could take it and took it where many thought it couldn't go. That uh, That's a big bar to reach for Joe Moorhead. It was time for Dan to leave. He knew it. We all knew it. Sometimes it's just uh, Sometimes it's just a natural term. We all see it as coaches. You know what helps a first-year coach? Uh, wait a minute. I won't go into that. It talks about uh, – uh, Joe Moorhead there. But that was interesting of how much praise they give Dan Mullen and how it was the right time for him to leave Mississippi State. And he was really getting all he could out of that job. 
Yeah, well, I mean, if you look at the guys who were there before him, I mean, certainly Sylvester Croom struggled. But even before that, Jackie Sherrill had a couple of good years, but he was not consistently good. And I think that's sort of the thing that everybody looked – you know, it's sort, of, it's sort of, you know, is it glass half full or glass half empty? I mean, glass half full is that Mullen was able to develop multiple quarterbacks who were, who were significantly better than what Florida has had over the last decade or so. And then the glass is half full look is also that, you know, at worst, they were six and seven, but they had a couple of nine and three, nine and four years. I think they had one 10 win season, certainly got to number one in the country at one point along the way. They were competitive with Alabama and in the past haven't been competitive with the real big boys in the SEC. So, you know, the glass half full guy sees that and says, hey, what will he do at Florida when he has all the talent? Now, obviously, you got the glasses half empty guy who's saying, hey, you know, you look over at Old Miss and they're, they're much more explosive that they are. Um, you know, they, they were more inconsistent, but certainly had some very good years. But again, they, they did were have to cheating. cheat again. They were cheating. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's a legitimate question that, uh, that people ask in terms of his record against top 25 teams, his record against LSU, Auburn, and Alabama, and those sorts of things. And, you know, I think the praise that he gets at Mississippi State is warranted. I think Mullen's a really good coach. I think we're going to see whether he is elite at Florida. And that's one of the reasons why it was time for him to move is he'd sort of proven what he could prove at Mississippi State. And with Alabama, uh, you know, the juggernaut that they are, it wasn't something he was going to consistently be able to beat them. Well, now he's at a place where he should bring in talent that's equivalent. And the question will be, is he a good enough coach to get it done? Yeah, you know, and I hate to play hypothetical here, but just imagine, I mean, this is a podcast, so of course we can, we can dream. We can, we can go off the beaten path. I mean, Imagine if Mississippi State was in the SEC East. I mean, they probably would have played in Atlanta a couple of times in a damn mullet, and then he would have had a lot more wins. You wouldn't be looking at uh, what his record was against Alabama and LSU and, and Auburn. You'd be looking at it was what it was against Mississippi State or uh, Georgia and Tennessee and, and Florida, and more than likely, he probably would have been doing pretty well. Sure, but I mean, he wouldn't have been doing real well in bowl games, <laughs> so, <laughs> and he wouldn't have been doing real well in the SEC championship game, which is what Florida experienced a couple of years there too. So, um, I think you'd have a very similar feel to what pe- what Florida fans had for McIlwain, <laughs> except that Mississippi State doesn't have the historical uh, the the historical um, success that Florida does, and so people don't necessarily expect the success. But I still think people would have thought of them as a paper tiger, which is essentially what they think about them in the SEC West right? Is that they have some guys who are really, really good. They will send some people to the NFL, but at the end of the day, when they go up against a team that, I mean, hell, Alabama's had 22 guys. Like, I think they're starting 22 from four years ago is all in the NFL starting somewhere. So, I mean, it's just a different animal and and you're not going to recruit that level of player to Mississippi State. You just can't. And the question becomes, once you get that equivalent talent, what can you do? And then the question is, can you get the equivalent talent? Yeah. I think that's always been the the number one concern for people at Mississippi State. And now Florida is going to be, you know, can he recruit that elite guy? Because it seems like he'll have no problem coaching them if he finds the right guys for his system. Uh, yeah, and I'll go on to Lindy's. And they kind of speak to your point, too, uh, of talking about uh, how how they stack up in the West. But first on the quarterback, um, Talking about Nick Fitzgerald being one of the quarter, best quarterbacks in the SEC. But quote is, but I don't know if we'll be as effective under new head coach Joe Moorhead as he was under Dan Mullen. So a lot of praise of Dan Mullen and, and his being able to relate to quarterbacks and being the, the quote the quarterback whisperer uh, there uh, in, in his career and especially at Mississippi State. 
So here's what we were uh, talking about about the SEC West here on the state of the program, and I'll read the whole quote from this coach here. Mullen left the cupboard loaded. In fact, State probably has the third best talent in the West behind Alabama and Auburn. They got really good running back in Eris Williams. They're pretty average at receiver. Defensive tackle Jeffrey Simmons can be one of the most dominant defensive linemen in the SEC. He's a sure he's a surefire first round pick. I'd be surprised if State doesn't win nine games. There'll be a tough out for every team in the SEC, including Alabama and Auburn. So, well, the, the, the prevailing thought is and when we look at the rankings in, in these magazines and uh, throughout other places on, on the web, you, know, you see Mississippi State ranked around that 15th, 16th, 17th, um, uh, you know, range there in these polls. And, you know, a lot of that really has to go to the the credit of Mullen and, and building the team of where it is right now. And they are loaded. They're really loaded on the, where they need to be, especially in the SEC along that defensive line. They got an experienced quarterback. They got a good backup quarterback. They got a really good running back. And then Mullen built that. So I think if you want to take this team that we see coming up this year at Mississippi State – we want to say, okay, that's the baseline. Or if you look at go back and look at the 2014 team as maybe being the baseline once he gets it rolling at Florida, and that's what Florida fans can hope for, and that's what Florida fans hope, that's kind of the baseline, and he can up the talent at, at Florida, then maybe what we see this year, and as I said, back in 2014 is the baseline, and then Florida improves from, from, from that baseline. Yeah, I mean, I I think we all certainly hope so. I, I think – I think people at Mississippi State are going to be a little, a little bit disappointed this year with not necessarily with Moorhead, but I don't I don't see them as the third most talented team in the SEC West. I think LSU is in front of them pretty significantly, and now you know if if you think as highly of Joe Burrow as I do, they now have a quarterback who's really really good. Here you go, here you go, here you go. <laughs> Auburn has Jarrett Stidham, he's really good, and then Alabama has Jalen Hurts and Tua at quarterback, and so. I, I think I think there may be some praise coming Mullen's way just from the fact that Mississippi State takes a step back without him there. Particularly when you think about what Fitzgerald does well, that's not necessarily the stuff that Moorhead has done at Penn State. It has been much more. There has been some running, but it has not been a running the quarterback focused offense with with. Uh, with intermittent throws and, you know, McSorley is pretty accurate. McSorley's a good quarterback up at Penn state. And, uh, and I don't think that, uh, I don't think Nick Fitzgerald is that level of quarterback. So I am hopeful <laughs> that, that it's going to prove out that Mullen, uh, that Mullen was a better coach than maybe we even thought when you go back and look and see how Mississippi state does. I think their defense will be really good. I think they're going to struggle on offense. And I think a lot of that will be attributed to um, how good of a coach Mullen is. And then if he can transfer that to Florida, obviously that'll be, that'll be great. I'm glad you brought that up. That, I thought that to myself too, and, and talking and also talking to social media, other people was, and I'm glad I hadn't thought about it that way though. It, it's so much, you know, does it speak well to Mullen if Mississippi State struggles this year, or does it speak well to him if if they come out and light the world on fire? So uh, I do think you know, it really could speak to, to his prowess if they do struggle and can't you know get the same results on offense. You know, I, well, I do expect that defense to be pretty pretty good as well. Uh, but if the offense falters, and uh, I kind of agree with you with Fitzgerald's lack of ability to to be uh, a big time passer, he's well 
a lot more well known for his legs than he, than he is his arm. And then we'll see you know, if Moorhead can can adjust to, to that style. And you know, if he's a smart coach, he he uses Fitzgerald's legs and doesn't try to the square peg round hole as we've heard so much you know, in the last few years at Florida. Uh, but it, it is interesting to see how it would play out either way if Mississippi State has a lot of success or if they falter uh, in in twenty eighteen. Yeah, well, I think that's actually something that Florida fans and maybe even Mullen should point out to recruits. I mean, you know, we're we're looking at the, um, you know, we're, we're looking at it and saying Mullen needs to prove it on the field. Well, one of the ways to prove it is, hey, look, my replacement came in and couldn't do near what I did with the exact same uh, with the exact same personnel, or at least very close to the same personnel. Um, and I think that's a good selling point as well, particularly to the fan base, because if Florida struggles. If Florida has some issues, if if Florida comes out of the shoot kind of slow and some of those road games that are you know the fifth and sixth game I think of the season, you know then that's something that uh, that people are going to have to rely on is say hey you know look he came from Mississippi State he was doing a good job there he's left now they've sort of fallen off look that's the Dan Mullen effect once he gets his players once he gets his system in place we'll see that at Florida and and that'll sort of placate the masses. All right, so uh, we'll kind of just dive into what some of these magazines had uh, here, and we'll start on a national scope. Will I'll start with the national ranking uh, that these you know these magazines start off with in the very front of the magazine. And Athlon, as I said, they were uh, a lot more positive on Florida. They had Florida ranked seventeenth, uh, and you know really really high uh, on Dan Mullen, and that's the part uh, that they really could not say enough about. It was Mullen, Mullen, Mullen. And uh, if I can find the uh, summary here, I knew this would happen. I have to go and find all these pages there. Uh, but the summary Athlon had was it may confuse some readers to see the Gators rated this highly uh, after last season's four and seven belly flop that cost Jim McElwain his job and was Florida's second losing season in the past five years. That's the power of Dan Mullen, who led Mississippi State to eight straight bowl games and is one of the nation's brightest offensive minds. He'll need every bit of his brain power to fix the struggling Gator attack, which averaged just 22.1 points in 2017 and has big problems at quarterback. Last year, Franks completed just 54.6% of his throws and had only nine touchdown passes against eight picks. One of the good things about being a new coach is that there is political capital to spend and Mullen may just cash in some of his own on true freshman Emory Jones, whose dual threat skills fit Mullen's offense well. Whoever plays quarterback will need help from a good crop of backs led by Jordan Scarlett and Michael Pirine, and the receiving core has to improve all five starters return on the offensive line. That's good news, except that that unit wasn't very good last year. <laughs> so uh, Todd Gretham will employ a 3-4 this season and hope that outside linebacker C.C. Jefferson can create some havoc while sophomore corners Marco Wilson and C.J. Henderson continue their development into shutdown types. So there we go. That's pretty much Athlon's explanation of rating, rating Florida 17. And as I said, it was just a, a lot of uh, confidence in Dan Mullen getting this thing turned around and pretty fast. Well, and and we've talked a little bit before about why that makes sense. So at Mississippi State, he recruited in the 23 to 25 range in terms of his average. And that was generally where Mississippi State ended up the year. And so if you looked at the AP ranking, they're usually top 20. They very rarely wound up in the top in the top 10. Um, sometimes they were in the 10 to 20 range when they had a good season. Sometimes they were out of the rankings when they didn't have a very good season. But at the end of the day, when you look at the average, the recruiting ranking was 25 and the AP ranking was 25 or the FPI. If you look at the ESPN football power index, well, Florida's recruiting rankings 14.7 over the last four years. And so that's really where we should expect Florida to be. Now, obviously there's some fit issues with, uh, 
with the team, and then clearly quarterback can drive or um, can drive or hinder success. And so, I, really, I think you say 15 is the baseline, and if you think the quarterback's going to exceed what maybe an average quarterback would would do, then Florida can creep into the top 10. If you think that the quarterback is going to underperform based on what an average quarterback would do, then it's going to drop off from there. And I, I think that's really sort of how most people view the Gators at this point is the court, they're going to go as far as the quarterback can take them. And, and, and that's going to be up to Mullen to, to get the most out of them. But they have Mississippi state 14. So that's uh, interesting there. Uh, and Will Lindy's uh, had the Gators, I believe unranked, but they do rank all the teams. Uh, so they had them at 28th, so out of the top 25, uh, just outside of it. Uh, but that's the believe. Uh, also, they had like LSU 26 or whatever. So you know, joined you know a lot of both teams in SC quarterback problems. Uh, LSU thinks they can fix there was was Burrow. Uh, we'll kind of see where that goes. But you know, those teams similar situations, and they Lindy's has them ranked pretty close together. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I understand why people would have questions about Burrow. I mean, you know, you're basically looking back at high school statistics and film and trying to make determinations from there. And I understand why someone would have Florida at 27th. I don't necessarily agree with it. I think Florida probably finishes somewhere in the top 20 um, if things go decently well at the quarterback position. But if things don't go well at the quarterback position, then I can understand why they wouldn't be in the top 25. I think, again, it, it boils down to the most important position on the field is the place where they have uncertainty. And that's the position that, or that those are the teams that, that Lindy's has decided to drop out of that top 25, right? Is, LSU has some uncertainty. Florida has some uncertainty. Um, LSU certainly has some questions. I think most of us have questions about Orgeron. Um, <laughs> and so those are the teams that sort of fall out of the top 25. I can understand it. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I can understand it. No, all right. And the next part was uh, All-American teams and very rare, but Athlon and Lindy's. Athlon had first, second, and third team. Lindy's just had a first and second team. Will, no Gators. On either magazine's All-American team, so uh, something we're not really used to seeing, and you at least expect some of the defenders, uh, like Florida has had in past years, uh, to make a to make it a you know, an appearance on those type of lists. But you know, when you go through and look at it after what we saw as a whole team last year, the collapse, four wins, uh, the defense falling by the wayside as well. You know, not not a complete collapse there, uh, like we we've seen on offense. But you know when. There's, it's actually it, it's not it's not a surprise to see no Gators on these All American teams. No, I mean it's really been a staple of Florida to have defenders on these teams, and certainly with a lot of the guys who've wound up in the NFL, that makes some sense. Um, but you know when you look at 2015, 2016, so in 15 they gave up 18.3 points per game, 2016 16.8, and in 2017 27.3. So the defense really struggled last year, and it and it's not a coincidence that that those guys are not necessarily getting sort of the uh, the general credit or the general credit that, that Florida defenders would normally get coming into a season just because they struggled. I mean, you really look at it and say, okay, who were the elite guys on Florida's defense? And you look at CC Jefferson and he's coming off of an injury and you don't know how, how, uh, how, how well he's going to be able to play throughout the year based on the injury that he had. And you look at the linebackers and I don't know if there's anybody, maybe David Reese, 
Um, mm-hmm. But certainly he's had some issues in coverage and you don't know how that's going to work out. And then you look on the backside and, and Chauncey Gardner uh, Johnson is probably the best guy that they've got in the defensive backfield at this point, but he certainly had some struggles along the way. Now, part of that was he was out of position and, and things like that. So, you know, you look at the guys that we would say, Hey, these are our cream of the crop on the defensive side of the ball. And they all have holes and I'm, or at least had holes in their game last year. And I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure you could say that in the past. I mean, you know, when you looked at somebody like Tease Tabor or Quincy Wilson or Dante Fowler, I mean, those were guys you said, okay, these guys are elite. They're going to the NFL. They're probably top, you know, top tier draft picks. Um, and Florida's got something to prove this year on the defensive side of the ball. Yep. Uh, but, you know, you look at national unit rankings and as, like I said, Athlon higher uh, than Lindy's in Athlon. Uh, they had Florida's defensive line seventh in the nation. Uh, and their defensive backs third. Uh, so kind of surprised there, you know, with the defensive line, um, you know, I, at, at tackle, Kerry Clark, Daryl Slayton. Um, you know, we'll see if guys like Marlon Dunlap, Kyrie Campbell can show up. Uh, but I, I think they're probably more speaking to, like, what Florida has at defensive end and the rush-in positions. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if think, necessarily think you'll label uh, – C.C. Jefferson as like a sole outside linebacker, so they're probably including him uh, in this defensive line rush in type of thing where you have Jabari Zuniga, you've had some good reviews of Antonius Clayton, C.C. Jefferson, Ja'Kai Polite, uh, you know, those rush in types of guys there. So, you know, uh, I I like that they have recognized some of the, the talent that, I think a lot of this is really based on potential besides C.C. Jefferson. I think we know uh, what he can do. I hope he can take the next step and, you know, live up to that five-star billing, be that Jarvis Jones type that we keep bringing up uh, under Todd Grantham uh, along that defensive line. Yeah, I mean, you do have to project in these things, and that's obviously, I think, what they're doing. And I think they're expecting some some pretty big steps to be taken by people like Clayton and Conliffe and, and Slayton, and that's going to be what's going to be necessary for this defense to succeed, at least up front on the defensive line. Um, I'm a little bit surprised they have them seventh nationally, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I can understand somebody maybe saying 25th, top 25 nationally, but seventh, that's, that's now you're yeah. talking an elite unit. And the, that's, not, off guard too. that's not necessarily reflective of the recruiting rankings. And it's not, it's not real reflective of what we've seen thus far from that unit. Now that's not to say the unit has been bad. It's just that I don't, I would not have considered them elite at well, all. Put, put it this way. Well. Years. Yeah. And Athlon, what it is, Clemson, Ohio state, Michigan, Auburn, Alabama, Mississippi state, Florida. And when, I, and when I think of Florida's defensive line, I, I, I don't put them up there with those teams. I tell you what, if they have the seventh best defensive line and the third best defensive backfield, they're going to win 10 games. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, that's the reality. So I, I guess that's really sort of where they've got them set at. Because if the defense is elite, both on the front side and the back side, I mean, they'll, they'll be able to cover up for the linebackers' deficiencies, or they'll be able to move somebody like John, like Gardner Johnson down sort of in a hybrid linebacker role and let him roam around. And maybe that's where some of the uh, the tackling difficulties he had last year will really start to uh, start to benefit Florida. And then he's had the experience of getting into the hole, and this year he'll be more prepared to do that. Yep, and as I mentioned, Athlon had, and you mentioned again, had uh, the defensive backs third in the country, and Lindy's had the defensive backs fifth in the country. So, Will, that kind of segues into your article this week on readreaction.com uh, titled, A Successful 2018 Season Depends on Florida Getting Back to DBU. Uh, in this, uh, you point that, uh, you point that uh, on the surface, it looked like Florida, uh, the secondary was still pretty good, but it did fall short in one important category. Yeah, well, I mean, so if you look at how – 
if you look at how scoring is actually correlated, the way it's correlated is with yards per play. So it doesn't red zone efficiency doesn't matter at least no, nowhere near as much as yards per play. Third down conversions don't matter anywhere near as much as yards per play. Really what it boils down to is if you give up a bunch of explosive plays, you're screwed. You give up a lot of points and that's what Florida did last year. So they, they were very much a, um, there were a lot of three and outs. The defense looked pretty good, but then they would give up a 40 yard pass on a broken coverage, or they would give up um, a 45 yard pass on one-on-one coverage on the outside where the corner got beat. Um, there was a lot of that when you looked at it. So like the example I point out in the article is Texas A&M where they only gave up seven completions, but three of them I think were over 40 yards. <laughs> and so, you know, um, A&M was able to get, I think, 13 points off of those three drives that had that one long pass. And that was really the difference in the game. So Florida put up more yards, Florida over the overall game played better, but just didn't have any explosion. And that's, that is where some of the frustration I think with Florida's offenses lied is that lack of explosion. So if you look at Florida's defense last year, Running, they were a little bit worse than they've been in the past. So in 2016, which I think we could all say is an elite defense, they gave up four and a half yards per play. And last year it increased to five and a half. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but a full yard per play over the course of a year really is the difference. If you look at, if you plot everybody last year and put a, uh, and, and, and put a linear regression on it, you can chart the equation and say, this is what it should have been. And it said it should be about 16 points in 2016. It should be about 27 for 2017. And that's exactly what it was. So that one yard difference was the difference in an elite defense versus a so-so to bad defense, really, when you look at it. And the run defense was a little bit worse. So it went from 3.8 yards per rush to 4.2. The passing went from 5.9 to 8.0. So they gave up eight yards per pass attempt last year, which you just can't stop anybody when you do that. um, Again, it was a lot of explosive plays. The defensive backs were effective in terms of their ability to defend passes on a, I would say they were inconsistent. So they would get beat deep a lot. There were some miscommunications a fair amount. I think everybody remembers the one in the Michigan game, but there was one in the article I pointed out against AM where they were in man-to-man coverage and the, and the one corner thought he was supposed to switch and the other corner thought he was supposed to follow. And so you had two corners on, on one receiver while the other one just roamed free and got hit on a little slant across the middle and went for 40 yards. So um, some of it I think is technique. Some of it I think is probably that these guys, you bring in any sort of true freshman and they're going to struggle. And Florida had a lot of true freshmen in the defensive backfield. And one of the things I pointed out in the article was that in 2007, when Tim Tebow won the Heisman Trophy, the Florida defense couldn't stop anybody. And they averaged, they gave up over seven yards per pass then too. And that had Joe Hayden, and that had Major Wright, and those sorts of guys in the, in the defensive backfield. And in 2008, it was a complete lockdown defense. And they were back down to giving up, I think, about five and a half yards per attempt um, on the passes. So that to me is the key stat for this year from a defensive perspective. Um, if you look at Florida last year, so I have the individual logs here. They gave up 8.4 yards per pass against Michigan, 6.6 versus Tennessee. against Kentucky, 6.6 against Vanderbilt, 7.8 against LSU, 7.5 against A&M, 14.4 against Georgia, 10.9 against Missouri, 8.6 against South Carolina, 8.9 against Alabama, Birmingham, and then 6.1 against Florida State. So the only game where they were below their 2016 average was Florida state. And they got absolutely stomped in that game because of turnovers and Florida state didn't really need to throw the ball. And so this wasn't like a, Oh, if you, if you take out Georgia and you take out Missouri, those games where McElwain was getting fired and everybody, and there were questions about, did they quit and those sorts of things. Even if you take those out, 
they averaged 7.7 yards per attempt from through the air. Um, and so really the DB struggled. I think that's legitimate. I think it's something you see in the first year when people are true freshmen. The question I have is, you know, we've been talking about strength and conditioning. We've been talking about scheme. We've been talking about all these different things that McIlwain's regime seemed to struggle with. The worry that I would have is that, you know, in 2007, Urban Meyer had the same defensive coordinator and the same general scheme as in 2008. So all those true freshmen who took their lumps that first year were able to come in their sophomore year and it was the exact same scheme and they were becoming more they were able to put in more complications, more, more coverages, all sorts of different things. And I'm not necessarily sure whether Florida is going to be able to do that this year. So I think we'll see a, a significant improvement from the corners and from the defensive backs. I don't know that we'll see that 2007 to 2008 um, sort of lockdown. I think maybe we'll have to wait until uh, 2019 to see that. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. You know, we're just guessing here, of course, like when, you know, look, we know everything wasn't perfect last year, and I, like as you said, and you've mentioned, don't know how much coaching these guys were getting uh, as well. Uh, when you go back and look at, especially after McIlwain was fired, you know, where's where are the heads at? Uh, is everything? Uh, are they mentally prepared for practice? Are they mentally prepared for games? All that stuff can play into it uh, a, a little bit. You know, I was for the most part impressed with what we uh, saw out of there. You know, I went back and looked. Pro Football Focus uh, graded. Uh, Wilson, the second best freshman in the SEC last year. <clears throat> so, you know, I, was, I respect from what I see from those guys a lot. So, uh, and how they look at it, and, you know, this just a lot of stuff to build on. Uh, I think that's kind of what we saw last year, and a lot of things to to feel confident in that they can uh, take the next step and, and be those shutdown corners that that, that Florida has had, and, and bring back that monarchy DBU that uh, they use they they like to use so much. Uh, and, and I will tell you, Will, when <laughs> I tweeted out the picture, uh, especially of Lindy's uh, All-American team or All-SEC teams, uh, Christopher Henderson and Marco Wilson both, uh, you know, got retweeted and a lot of people was making sure that, uh, that they saw that Lindy's did not have these guys included. And it looked like they, they took that to heart. Well, I certainly hope so. I mean, you know, if you need the motivation, then then certainly use it. And, and this isn't a specific indictment of these guys either. I mean, there were some things, there were some gifts where I showed them getting burned. And I mean, that happens to freshmen. There are times where your technique isn't perfect. There are times where, um, you know, you take a wrong step and you're going to get beat because this is big boy football. And, and the guy across from you is just as talented as you are in many cases. Heck, it happens, um, it happens to seniors too. <laughs> it does. But, you know, the, the thing is, is that Randy Shannon didn't help them at all. So Randy Shannon put his corners on an island about halfway through that LSU game because he had to, because they couldn't stop the jet sweeps and they could not contain the misdirection that was going on. And some of that's on the linebackers and some of that's on the safeties, but they had to bring in, they had to bring a safety up in run support. And when you do that, then you have one safety deep and it leaves your corners um, for the most part alone and isolated on the outside. And so you, you put a combination in there where, you know, so your defensive line is okay, but not great. Your linebackers, I think we can say really struggled last year and that front seven struggles. Well, now you got to bring a safety into the box. When you bring the safety into the box, it isolates the corners. So, you know, if, if Florida had had a defensive line that was putting a ton of pressure on the quarterback, I think the corners look a lot better. I think you can play more zone, Randy Shannon clearly wants, wanted to play a cover two because that's what he tried to stick with until halfway through the LSU game. They were just getting absolutely torched and he had to make an adjustment. Now, you know, the fact that somebody like me could see the defense and say, hey, this is, 
<laughs> this is what they're doing is probably a reflection that the defense is really, really simple. And so is there going to be more complexity with Grantham? Um, I think there will be, and that'll probably bode well for some more big plays. The, the question I have is that Grantham, I mean, they don't call him third and Grantham for nothing. I mean, the guy likes blitzing. And so he's going to leave his corners out on an island. And the question is going to be, can they hold up? And I think they'll be better than they were last year. I think they're going to be stronger. That's clearly something that's been an emphasis this offseason. So I think they'll be stronger. I think they'll be better. I think they'll be better coached in terms of their technique. And so I think they'll be better, but they're going to be out there alone. And so, um, you know, there, there are going to be times where those guys probably are going to get beat and probably are going to struggle. And, and that's okay. I mean, it's all part of the learning process. But that is something, you know, you look last year, the guys were isolated and there were times where they got beat and, and got beat deep. And are the, is that going to happen again this year? Um, the hope is that they will get better and that that won't happen as often. But um, I, I think looking back historically, you know, I think even Mullen said today in an, in an article that I read where the offense is going to be very simple and then it gets more complex in year two and year three. Well, the same thing applies to the defense, right? That it starts out simple and then gets more and more complex. And so, again, I think 2018, we're probably not looking at a lockdown defense. I think they'll be better than last year, but I don't think they're going to be locked down. I think really probably looking at 2019 for, for that to really take hold where you have a more complex defense. You've got upperclassmen corners who are comfortable in one-on-one and can really allow the defensive coordinator to call the kind of game he wants to call. All right. We'll move to the uh, SEC scope uh, of things in these magazines and will they uh, Athlon, as I said, does feel better about Florida. They picked Florida to finish second in the East behind Georgia and Lindy's had um, Florida finishing third behind Georgia and South Carolina. And I think when SEC media days rolls around sometime mid-July, that will probably be the question of who's going to be picked second behind Georgia in the East. Will it be Florida? Will it be South Carolina? A lot of, um, you know, Will Muschamp's getting a lot of respect for what he's doing at, at South Carolina, winning, I think it was nine games last year, I believe, um, you know, and coming back and storming back and beating Michigan in the bowl game. Uh, there and you know being able to figure out you know e- even though we give a lot of props to Jake Bentley that offense still struggles and, and, and I guess you know for Florida fans that's no surprise under Bill Muschamp but you know recruiting has gotten better uh, since he's been there uh, they have. They, they do have talent on offense. Jake Bentley's there. They'll get back Debo Samuel, who, who was injured a good bit last year, who looked like one of the SEC's best playmakers before he got injured last year. So it will be interesting to see, uh, you know, we see the two popular magazines here. They're split on, on Florida and South Carolina, who's going to finish second. You know, and I think that is going to be a big topic when SEC media days roll around. Yeah, I mean, so Jake Bentley wasn't fantastic last year. I mean, he threw 394 balls and he averaged 7.1 yards per attempt. His QB rating was around 130. It's basically average. The guy doesn't run very much, so he's not really adding much from that perspective. So um, I get it. He came in as a freshman. He played pretty well, but he didn't get any better in year two. And that's sort of been the must-champ MO when it comes to quarterbacks, right? (laughs) They may come in year one and look halfway decent, but year two, there's been zero improvement, I think. uh, And then they've done – they've they've made some pretty major changes. I mean, Kurt Roper's not there anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's some question marks there too. Now, I mean, they're hoping that having a junior quarterback with all the experience is going to, is going to all of a sudden um, show a leap and maybe they're right. Maybe that change in offensive coordinator will, will show that for Bentley. But I think there are just as many question marks there as there are for Florida. Um, to be honest, I mean, Florida is coming off of a year where just about everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. 
I mean, it felt like every week we were coming on here and something else had happened. It started even before the Michigan game where you had all the credit card suspensions and, and then, and then, you know, you come out and you got the hurricane yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, just the one point losses or the one point yeah. loss against LSU and the two point loss against Texas A&M. And it was just sort of this snowball effect. And it's one of those things where I don't know that you can necessarily think that everything's going to go wrong for Florida again in 2017. It's just, it's just not the, it's not the way things go. And I, I also don't think, that if that if Franks is struggling, that Mullen's going to let him sit in there and, and take his lumps like McElwain did last year. So, um, it'll yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they say. The the one thing I think that that people are maybe sleeping on and again, I haven't gone back and looked at all the numbers, but Drew Locke played really well last year for Missouri, and I know he didn't play real well against teams that against teams that had winning records, but they're going to they're not going to play a whole lot of teams with winning records. Look at Tennessee and Florida and, and Vanderbilt and Kentucky and, and you know, the, all the teams in the East there, there's a case to be made that those teams are average or below average. And the question is to me, if Missouri lights it up against those guys and then loses to Georgia, um, you know, are they maybe the second best team in the yeah. East just based on the amount of points that they can put up, especially Locke started out really bad three years ago was sort of average two years ago. Last year, he was borderline elite. If he takes another step forward and can, and they can start putting up 55 points a game and not just against cupcakes, but can really start to at least compete with some of the big boys, that's one team that I think you need to take a look at just because their quarterback has shown it. And he, you know, and, and so I think that might be a place where in a, in a, in a conference division that has offensive question marks just about everywhere, except for maybe Georgia, that's a place where I think maybe Missouri might be able to sneak up. And if I can get to it quickly, yep, uh, both Lindy's and Athlon have Missouri fourth. So that is the team they're picking to, to finish right behind uh, Florida and South Carolina, however that order comes out. And we go back and we look, look, there were no Gators on the uh, uh, All-American teams, but all SEC teams – Athlon, eight players overall, but none on the first team. Uh, start with the second team. They had Kadarius Tony as an all-purpose player. Martez Ivy, offensive lineman. C.C. Jefferson on the defensive line. Marco Wilson on the, uh, as a cornerback. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, uh, I guess, I guess it's a safety back there. They didn't really, um, you know, they, they didn't really list it. They just had defensive back, but I'm assuming they have it there because they didn't, uh, they didn't really. Pinpoint if it was Nickelback or whatever. Uh, so we'll kind of see that. But Chauncey Gardner-Johnson was also on the second team. Uh, third team, they had Jordan Scarlett uh, for running back there. Uh, C.J. Henderson at quarterback. And I guess just because of his last name, Tommy Townsend as punter, Will. <laughs> I'm wondering, did they did they think he was the same person? <laughs> did, did they just not realize? Well, if it was, it's still it still should be slack because that means he should be first team. <laughs> Is Alabama's punter still there? The guy who kept beating who kept beating Townsend and didn't deserve it? Don't know. <laughs> Good nah. It's interesting. I think when you look at this, I'm a little, I'm the biggest Tony truther there is out there, but I'm a little bit surprised that he's there. I mean, you know, you look at it and he had trouble staying healthy last year and, and certainly Mullen's going to try to get the ball to him in space. And he was electric when he did get the ball, but, uh, but, you know, you got to be able to stay on the field, and we'll see whether he can do that. I think the same thing applies to Tyree Cleveland. That was one of the other guys I, I thought was missing maybe. Um, just from a skill set perspective, you look at that and say, okay, um, if the quarterback – if you think Mullen's going to make the quarterbacks better, then you got to imagine somebody like Cleveland might be able to excel. And, again, if you're trying to – if, if you're trying to project what's going to happen, that maybe would, would be a place where I would uh, – where I'd, I, 
I would make a bet if I was uh, if I was trying to decide who in Florida if Florida's going to be better offensively, who's going to take the step forward? I would probably take Cleveland over Tony, just because I think Cleveland has the big playability um, down the field that Tony hasn't necessarily yeah. shown thus far. Um, I'm surprised they've got Martez Ivy up as high as they do. I mean, he's there. There's been. I mean, he probably wasn't the draft pick last year. If he'd gone into the draft, maybe a seventh round pick. Um, they're keeping him at tackle. It looks like at least thus far. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at guard, that's maybe a, yeah. a legitimate thing to have him up there. But he's really struggled. He was on the, I guess he was second team SEC last year. Um, so it's not as if he hasn't been placed up there. But but I think certainly um, he's been a little bit a little bit of a disappointment. And you know I know there wasn't any Alex Leatherwood um, on on the first team at least. And and that's the guy at Alabama that I would think would probably take that spot. Um, and then that's sort of the guy I'd go for. I I think there are some there are some left tackles who've shown a little bit more than maybe Ivy has yeah. thus far. Again, I think you're projecting, but at this point you're projecting for a senior, and uh, and I think it's a little bit dangerous to do that. But um, yeah, it, it 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 seems like the biggest difference between the two of them is just the defensive backs. Yeah, pretty much as as I said, and I did go back and look. They had Chauncey Gardner Johnson listed as a safety, so we know we know more than likely he's playing nickelback. So uh, I guess just to get him in there, you know, they guess they threw him in at safety uh, there. And I am surprised, well, a little surprised and not surprised that they had Jordan Scarlett, thirteen running back, you know, guy who didn't play last year, uh, could get penalized for that. But uh, I, I do like. You know they're not shying away from that. That they, they they can see Jordan Scarlett as being that third team running back. I would have loved to see what Malik Davis could have been if he would stay healthy last year. And you know, to me, and I've had this conversation on, on Twitter the last you know week or so of I like what I've seen from Malik Davis much more than I have from Jordan Scarlett. The home run threat that Davis brings, the yards per carry that he brings. Uh, granted, you know he. Only did it for a few games. Uh, could he have kept that up? Uh, I, I say yes, but we'll see how he bounces back from the knee injury. Uh, and also how Jordan Scarlett bounces back from being uh, out for a full year. I think uh, he's a monster. I think he's a beast. I still would like to see that top-end speed where he can bust some more of the long runs. We'll see if Dan Mullen's offense is more conducive to, to opening, up, opening up some holes for Jordan Scarlett and letting him get downfield on some runs. Uh, so, yeah, I, I do like seeing him third team. It's just it, – it did kind of surprise me with him not playing last year that they, they put him on there. Uh, Lindy's uh, I'll go for their all SEC team. Only four players overall as Athlon had eight. They had Martez Ivy first team offensive lineman, CC Jefferson, second team defensive lineman. And then kind of people started getting question questionable about this. They had David Reese as a third team linebacker, Chelsea Gardner Johnson as a defensive back with no Marco Wilson, no CJ Henderson listed on the third team in Lindy's. So as you said, Will, the, the difference was the defensive backs where Athlon counted them more and Lindy's did not. Actually, I think Reese is a really interesting point there. I mean, if you're going to go to a 3-4, you can get away with an inside linebacker mm-hmm. who maybe doesn't cover quite as well sideline to sideline. And Reese certainly proved to be a run stopper coming up coming up the middle. And so maybe that's what they're seeing is that, uh, is that Reese is going to put up pretty big tackle numbers um, if he can stay healthy and just being in the middle of the field. And he certainly has an instinct for the ball and, and was, and, and showed a motor that I think was impressive last year. And so, um, you know, sort of maybe the Zach Thomas type of mold, um, that kind of player. It is interesting when you look, I, I didn't have Lindy's from last year or Athlon from last year, but I did go look at the preseason coaches, all conference team. And they got four right on offense and they got five right on defense. So they got nine out of the 22 right from a first team perspective. And so I think we do need, <laughs> this is all fun and games and, and, uh, you know, and, 
and it's interesting to talk about, but I do think we need to keep that into perspective that, that there are guys who are, so somebody like Arden key struggled last year, but was on the sec first team, um, coaches, uh, coaches team, um, Ronnie Harrison at defensive back didn't do very much at, uh, at, uh, at Alabama. And then you look at Darius Geis who was injured. And so really, I mean, at the end of the day, I think we're going to probably say about half of these guys who are on the first team end up there. And the success stories of the sec are going to place the rest. So if Florida goes nine and four, 10 and three, there'll be a lot of Gators on it. And if Florida goes seven and five, there'll be a lot less. Yeah. And then uh, what I want to look at, uh, Athlon also listed their rankings for new head coaches. Uh, and they had Dan Mullen ranked third uh, as the as uh, the new head coach uh, at new schools. And what they had to say was there are two schools of thought on Mullen. Some will wonder why a coach who has a losing record in the SEC, thirty three and thirty nine, and not seen not in nine seasons, can be so highly regarded. Others who are correct will note that any coach who takes Mississippi State to eight straight bowl games and has the Bulldogs ranked in the top twenty five at some point in six of nine seasons is doing a fantastic job. Mullen will now have an opportunity to apply his trade at a school that has everything necessary to win a national championship. His first order of business will be to provide a spark to a, a Florida attack. Amazingly, has not finished higher than 10th in the SEC in total offense over the past eight seasons. In that same span, Mississippi State has finished in the top half of the SEC seven times. This is a great hire by Florida Athletic Director Scott Strickland, Mullen's former boss in Starkville. <laughs> I like the correct interpretation there. I, yeah, I mean, they want to make sure people know that uh, you know any, any any coach that does what he did at Mississippi State, uh, that that's the correct way to look at it. So, who were the two in front of him? I'm curious. It was Scott Frost and Chip Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I've ranted and raved enough about the recruiting class, but I got. <laughs> I can't even imagine what it would be like if uh, Florida's recruiting class looked like UCLA's at this point. And I don't know if it still is, but as of just a few days ago, still no commits for the 2019 class. You know, it is, it is funny because if, if Mullen had come to Florida after three years at Mississippi State, um, there would really be no holes to poke in his resume. And I think the same thing sort of applies to Frost as he's been at UCF for, for only a couple of years. And, and certainly they have, they have, they have really excelled. But you also have to wonder whether he sort of caught lightning in a bottle with with McKenzie at quarterback, yeah. and then and then uh, and then the defensive end who was so good and really so inspirational. And you sort of you know you've got all that stuff bottled up and say, okay, can that happen again? It'll be interesting to see what he can do in Nebraska because he's going to have to be a pretty good recruiter to get guys to come out there on a consistent basis. I'm I'm surprised he's number one, but I guess yeah. we'll see. That's the beauty of it. There's a lot of love there, I think, because the expectation at Nebraska is maybe not as big as it is at Florida and maybe for the, the time he will be allowed for a turnaround. So maybe it's kind of a more ease in, he can have, you know, maybe they'll, they'll consider eight, nine wins in the first couple of seasons, more of a success than for Florida, you know, eight, nine wins for season in year one. Okay. Do that in year two. Okay. Maybe, you know, you start to get some questions there, uh, but at Nebraska, I think they'd be jumping off the, you know, the ceilings there with, with eight, nine, one seasons in year one and two. Yeah. Well, I got a buddy who's a Nebraska fan and he's, he's longing for the days of Polini, or at least he was before, <laughs> before they hired Frost. So I think a lot of it's like a guy who comes back after his sophomore year 
or let's say stays is, you know, he, he could leave for the NFL after his junior year, comes back for his senior year and gets picked apart. I think a lot of that is what probably ends up happening to Mullen, right? He spends nine years at Mississippi state. So we have nine years of, of saying, Oh, well, he can't beat Alabama as opposed to if he'd been there for four, it would, it would, the story yeah. would be, well, he could, he would have built it to be able to do it. And the fact that he didn't build it to be able to do it is then seen as a black mark by some people and other people, I think, realize that the, the institutional disadvantages are fairly large there. And so you can't necessarily judge him on that. And, and so you look at Frost and he's had one place and certainly had one fantastic year, one sort of average year. And, and you look at that and say, okay, well, if he can do that at Nebraska, obviously, then that all looks stupid for saying this. But I do think that it's, you know, you know, he's leaving after his junior year to go <laughs> to go coach this new team. Hasn't really had the opportunity to be picked apart yet when uh, Mackenzie Milton leaves as quarterback, and then he has to develop a new quarterback. And that's something that Mullen has had to experience, right? Is seeing Ralph leave, seeing Prescott leave, and having to have that new guy come in. He never had to do that at UCF, and so we'll see how he can do that at Nebraska now. Yeah, and you go back and look at it. You know, we did the whole coaching search and everything. And, you know, I actually went back and listened, you know, a couple months ago of like what my original coaching dream list was. And it was Dan Mullen and Scott Frost. Those were just those were my two guys that I wanted for Florida. Uh, then, of course, the whole Chip Kelly thing came along. And it, it, we pretty much thought that that was, you know, going to happen. Uh, and I thought would have been a good fit at Florida. But, you know, I, I still would put Mullen second over Kelly just because of, being in the SEC, being familiar with Florida, being familiar with the conference, it is a better fit, and I do think that could that 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 would you know enter my mind in, in, in ranking the hires there of why I would probably put Florida getting Mullen is better than UCLA getting Chip. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are legitimate reasons to believe in each of those guys, yeah. and it didn't didn't really feel like Frost wanted to be at Florida. I mean, when you looked at it, it was sort of Nebraska. He was going to stay at UCF. Um, Kelly clearly didn't want to be at Florida because <laughs> he left him at the altar and went out to UCLA. Leverage, um, leverage. And there were some there were some other guys out there. You know, I wrote an article about David Shaw, basically saying, "Hey, go after the proven guy who's proven to be elite," because those guys who are elite right off the bat end up being elite long term. And, you know, that would be my biggest concern with Mullen is, you know, I feel like if Urban Meyer had gotten the job at Mississippi State, he would have gotten to the point where he would have beaten Alabama. But then again, he never really he never had a job where he where he stayed in where he was in a big boy conference in a program that was not one of the big boys. And so he hasn't necessarily proven that. But you know, that, that's the question is when you look at it, hey, if you gave Urban Meyer Mississippi State, would all of a sudden the recruiting pick up more than it did under Mullen? It's a question where he's going to have to answer. All right, then just kind of finish this up. Uh, the verdict for Athlon, Lindy's didn't give a uh, record prediction that I, that I saw there, but Athlon did say Florida 8-4, and four, so 8-4, and 5-3 uh, and three in the SEC, and they did pick Florida second in the SEC East there. Uh, and as far as their top players uh, for Florida, C.C. Jefferson, Kadarius Tony, Martez Ivy, Jordan Scarlett, David Reese, uh, rising star Marco Wilson uh, there. So, um, you know, good good stuff there uh, from Athlon. And then, uh, Will, our, our good friend Thomas Goldcamp actually wrote the preview for Lindy's uh, in there. And uh, one thing uh, we kind of wanted to, to read uh, his little summary there uh, is the schedule analysis that he put together uh, for Florida here. It says, Florida couldn't ask for a better slate to ease into the Mullen era. The Gators get three straight opponents at home that they should be heavily favored against, allowing Mullen to help build some confidence before things get tougher. The first game that jumps out as a challenge is a road trip to Starkville to take on Mullen's former Mississippi State side. If Florida can get past Tennessee 
at Mississippi State to end September at 5-0. The outlook for the season improves drastically. Toughest games will be Georgia and Jacksonville following a bye week and a trip to Tallahassee at year's end. But this is a very um, navigable schedule that could yield a comfortable 8-9 to wins in year one for Mullen. So, well, I can't imagine Florida starting off, it would be, what, 4-0, and they go to Starkville. Uh, the, the emotions for Dan Mullen there will, will be something else. <laughs> I, I, w- I would think so. I, I think, I think that's, le- I think that's a legitimate, uh, you know, they have a legitimate shot to do that. It, it's going to be interesting because they've got Tennessee, I think the week before, right? And that's, yep. uh, yeah, that's Tennessee, tough, that's, that's tough to have two road games in a row and, and sort of get up for the one at Tennessee and then get up for the one at Mississippi state. Um, you know, so I, you know, we talked about trap games last year for our season preview, and and what do those really mean? And you said, I sort of indicated I thought it meant that you got beat up, and I think maybe that LSU game is the one after those two where maybe that starts to come true. And yeah, I mean, if they're four and zero heading into Starkville, I mean, the Florida fan base is going to be really excited, and obviously the Mississippi State fan base is has been. Uh, has been vocal at least on Twitter about their dislike for the fact that Mullen left, and and so it'll make for make for an exciting storyline and something that everybody will be watching. I if they end up five and zero, oh, um, I think I think uh, we're gonna have to really start questioning about how good he can be because I, I that's not something I'd necessarily expect. But man, bring it on! I think a lot of people though they would, they would point back to Jim McElwain's first year and, and the start there, so. Do you think a lot of it would play into how it looks, or does it matter how it looks as long as you're five and up? Well, I mean, it looked pretty good under McElwain, too. I mean, it, it seemed like yeah. Greer had turned the corner, you know, when all of a sudden he lit it up in the fourth quarter against Tennessee and then and then against Old Miss. I mean, put up what 35, 38 points. Um, I think the the differentiator there is that the Tennessee and the Old Miss games were at home. Yep, and, and and that makes a big difference, especially with younger quarterbacks. So, um, if you look at true freshman quarterbacks and even redshirt freshman quarterbacks, their numbers are significantly better at home than they are on the road, and that's really where the home field the home field advantage comes in. When you look at upperclassmen quarterbacks, that band starts to narrow, and they're nowhere near as bad on the road as they were when they were younger. So, Florida has young quarterbacks. I mean, if it's Franks, it's going to be his second year, but certainly he struggled a lot last year. If it's Trask, he's he hasn't played since high school. And, and, you know, how is he going to play at Tennessee, at Mississippi State? And if it's Emory Jones, obviously you got a true freshman out there. So um, so that would be the, the thing that I would look for is, is the quarterback play on the road and really sort of the running game leading up to that because mm-hmm. I'm not sure you're going to be able to rely on the running game. Or I'm sorry, I'm not sure you're going to be able to rely on the quarterback on the road. I think when, you know, when you talk about Mullen being a game manager, that's where he's going to have to manage the game is making sure that he's not allowing his quarterback to make mistakes when he's on the road because young quarterbacks, that's what they do. Yeah, a couple of things about that. Uh, and I know it was Will Muschamp's second year, but it reminds me a lot of you know going uh, to, to A&M and to Tennessee in back-to-back weeks. And Jeff Driscoll, you know, I – Really thought you know he was going to be the quarterback of the future because of a, of a good late go uh, you know, late game heroics against the A and M and Tennessee and back to back road games. So those back to back road games against uh, um, Tennessee and Mississippi State kind of uh, kind of reminds me uh, of those two games uh, as well. But also another thing is Mullen had that big win against LSU last year. Uh, what thirty seven to seven? Everything was on fire. Everything uh, was going great. 
they go on the road at Georgia the next week and get absolutely slaughtered. So, you know, it, uh, it's just how, 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 what what side of this are we going to get? And I, I kind of agree with you. I, if they get that run game going, run you know, run teams usually travel pretty well on, on the road. You don't have to rely on your quarterback so much. So, you know, we know Dan Mullen likes to run the ball, run the ball first. If he can get that run game going and, and take it on the road, then I think that that, that could spell, spell, spell some good for the offense moving into those road games. Sure. I mean, it's going to come down to explosive plays and if they can get those from the run game, um, you know, I, there's a lot out there about Mullen designing things open. And if he can do that, then obviously the offense is going to going to take a step forward and that's what's going to be necessary. I'll tell you what, if they win both of those road games um, and they come out of that five and oh, I mean, those road games really are sort of going to be the deciding point for Florida's schedule, I think. So the over under, I was just looking up is seven. And uh, at least the most recent one that I saw is seven. And and if if they if they win both of those road games, they can even probably drop one of the home games. And if they win both of those road <laughs> games, they're still getting over seven. And so you know, if you if you say what's going to be the critical juncture for Mullen in year one, I don't think it's going to be Georgia. I think it would be nice. Mm-hmm. If beat Florida State, but I think he just has to be competitive with Florida State. If he can win those two road games, I think everybody's going to look back and say year one was successful. Yeah, one more thing about the schedule before we, we go here. I know we're running a little bit long, but that the three-game stretch of Tennessee, Mississippi State, LSU, and then after Georgia when you have South Carolina, Missouri back-to-back, those five games, that, that, that makes the season because I think most of us expect to lose to Georgia there in the middle of the season. So – that those five games, I think, you know, pretty much make the Florida season going into that FSU game at the end. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you, you asked me last year whether I wanted to win the East or whether I wanted to beat Florida State. And I was one of the few few people saying I wanted to beat Florida State. I think <laughs> so maybe maybe I need to revise it. Just say that beating Florida State is what'll make it a successful <laughs> season. But yeah, I mean, you know, I think Missouri's gonna be pretty decent. I think South Carolina's gonna be pretty decent. And then you've got Georgia, LSU, um, Mississippi State and and Tennessee there. Tennessee's probably going to be a little bit better just based on coaching. So um, that's a pretty decent gauntlet. I mean, I, I know that it's not Alabama and it's not uh, you know it's not Auburn, but but I think it's a pretty decent gauntlet for a team that's going to have some holes. And the question is going to be, you know, can Mullen put holes in the dam or can he put fingers in the holes in the dam to sort of keep, you know to keep things under control when he does that? Because um, there are some holes he's going to have to plug them, and how well he does that is going to really sort of determine how they do during that stretch. Yep. All right. Well, what you got coming up on uh, reading reaction before we get off on here? Oh man, I don't know. I've, I've sort of been going back and forth about a couple of things I'm writing about, and uh, I'm I'm trying to figure out how to rank all of the quarterbacks, um, and sort of look at both. Like, how do you separate running ability of a quarterback and throwing ability of a quarterback? So I think that's probably what's going to be coming up in the next week or so, is is really sort of looking at quarterbacks historically and how you can rate them, and then also. Uh, applying that to the SEC in 2017 and say, okay, where does Felipe Franks really rank when you look at his running and his passing? 2018? Well, well, no, you need to look at 2017. And then the question is, okay, well, in a Mullen offense, let's say he throws for the exact same amount. But now you add in the running of Nick Fitzgerald. What is that like? How much does that add to your offense? And so um, I think there's a pretty cool way of saying, you know, you know, I mentioned earlier that quarterback play is really going to make or break the offense. I think, I think, I think there are some pretty cool ways of saying what can you look at to see how much the quarterback is contributing to the points per game statistic, and and what does that mean for the team going forward? So, so that's what's going to be coming up is quarterback analysis. It'll be less film, much more statistically heavy, but uh, it should be fun. Yeah, I know we went back. Uh... 
like a couple months ago, I think, not too long after Mullen was hired, and then we had a how much you know the quarterback run just in general in, in Mullen's offense. So I remember that that might could fit in somewhere uh, along the way as well. Um, and then I, I mentioned it earlier, but you know, hey, you and I will get on it soon. But we'll have uh, all summer long. You know, you and I. We'll, we'll record uh, these opponent previews that Florida has uh, for, for the 2018 schedule, and then we'll release those uh, starting, I guess, uh, sometime in, in July. Yeah, I got to say, I'm a little bit disappointed that Butch Jones is gone. Like, there, there's just nobody to make fun of now at Tennessee yet. There hasn't been anything, there hasn't been anything stupid. I, I, need, I, need, uh, I need my Butch Jones fix. Can, 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 did Alabama bring him on as like a consultant or something? They did. He's, he's, a, he's in quote-unquote intern. <laughs> oh man good old butch he gets he gets he gets nick saban's coffee <laughs> uh well i look forward to him saying something stupid and saban staring at him that'll be great oh that'd be hilarious yeah, I'm, I'm sure he won't put him in front of a microphone saban saban knows better <laughs> well he 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 uh he didn't know better with lane kiffin because he, <laughs> he certainly found a microphone <laughs> All right, that's Will Miles. You can find Will on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. I'm the host of Gator Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gator Breakdown.